Good evening, patriots. This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Tonight, I'll recap my first county Republican Party caucus, discuss what actually has happened to the flu, and finish up with an American thinker piece on setting us apart from the corrupt generation we now have. All next on Living with Liberty. I attended our county Republican Party caucus today. There's definitely an optimistic energy within my county, even with everything that's gone on at a national level and you know some things even here within our state of Wisconsin, especially when it pertains to our our governor. There, there's still uh, you know a lot of work, but a lot of optimism that that we will be able to overcome. There certainly is a lot of work to be done, no doubt. As we face many of the same obstacles as uh, many of uh, you know our other states around the country and counties and cities and you know everywhere else, you know we say, face the same obstacles from the left as many of you out there. But from what I see, we have a pretty good organizational effort going on in my county party. They understand the value in organizing as a team and moving forward as a cohesive unit. There were many stories today of people who are just plain fed up who decide to take some action, you know, and are running for things like school board and town, city and county boards and, you know, any other kind of governmental office there is. Uh, People are starting to wake up and take action. You know, they've seen the increasing government intervention slowly eroding their towns and cities that were once you know, for the most part, left alone by government, the people ran it and, and they were fine with it. And they were willing to pay for what they were willing to pay for as far as a tax base goes. You know, people are really upset and they're, they're, they're taking action. True to form, and even what are supposedly local papers, they're covering this action and activity with the national narrative. And that leftist slant we've seen from the the national media. I've said before, we truly don't have any local reporting anymore. Uh, As many are, uh, if not almost all, are owned by large publishing or, or news conglomerates that push the narrative from top down to even those local papers. You know, they're working to discredit this movement in any form or fashion, even at the local Uh, even at our local levels here. The conservative movement, for better or worse, is tied to the Republican Party right now. And from what I see at the local party level, we have figured out it's going to take organizing and raising up the right candidates to move forward. I don't know that we've figured that out at the national level yet, um, but certainly from what I saw today at uh, our local level, our county level, we understand that. It's understood. We need candidates who are America first, who are our state first, who are our town, city, county first people. It's going to take that realization that even though we may disagree, that at the end of the day, the two of us are moving forward as as one voice. And that that's better than one moving ahead and the other not voting or doing anything at all because of a disagreement. And they, you know, they just stay home on voting day. 
Now, we had an example brought up today uh, at the meeting that Democrats do this all the time. They have knockout, drag out fights. And at the end of the day, they will generally put all of that aside at the end and move forward as one unit. We need to do the same. If we don't, then there's no chance for us to put enough conservative voices in office to make a difference and to make the difference we need to make in order to preserve our liberties and our freedoms and our cities and towns and counties. As I noted previously, we should primary those elected officials who are not upholding our ideals and values. But if that primary is unsuccessful and the incumbent incumbent does end up making it through, we need to rally behind that incumbent. Now, as one of my favorite new bloggers, Gadsden, wrote in a recent post, it's better to have someone in office who votes for the conservative causes 75% of the time than to get mad, not vote in the general election, and then end up losing the seat to someone who will vote for the leftist cause 100% of the time. The primary scare may actually snap some of these uh, officials, uh, these incumbents that tend to kind of blow in the wind a little bit. It it may end up snapping them into line and vote according to the will of the constituency and to the really the platform of the party in its entirety. And if they don't, well, primary them again. Find a better candidate and primary them again. It's important we hold them accountable. It's an important that should the incumbent win through a primary, it's important that we support them, but in, and at the end of the day, we hold them accountable still. And if that means we primary again, we primary them again and we find that other candidate. Now, I have a few important highlights from uh, the county caucus today before I move into uh, the other couple of topics I have tonight. Now, Brian Style is my House of uh, Representatives uh, rep there. Uh, this is a man who gets it. Uh, I, I met him and chatted with him briefly today. Um, you know, we had didn't have a we had a packed agenda, not a not a ton of time to talk, and he was actually uh, sounded like he was actually just uh, in town for basically the day uh, to to let us know what's going on in Washington before hopping on a plane right back to Washington uh, to start another work week next week. Um, you know, he he gets it. Uh, he kind of outlined how he spent all of last week battling on the House floor against H.R. 1. Uh, now, that's the the um, bill that did get passed through that basically strips all the, the rights of the states when it comes to the elections and holding elections. Now, we know it obviously, you know, at this point wasn't successful as it passed along a party uh, party line vote. But he did note two reasons to still be optimistic that the bill won't actually get passed all the way to get Biden's signature. Now, the first thing Style noted was that all House Republicans voted against the bill, which is a you know it's a great sign that the party is unified in its stance against it. And the second uh, point he made was that uh, Style of uh, expects the Senate Republicans to follow suit. There's absolutely zero support for it there. And what they're going to do is they're going to try and bog it down in the Senate 
so that it doesn't even get, have a chance to come up for a vote. And now I'll throw in my two cents here with all this. Uh, we still have the legislative filibuster intact that was a uh, part of the power sharing agreement that that wouldn't be uh, done away with uh, when way back in January, whenever it was, when McConnell and Schumer were negotiating the power sharing agreement. And I think we've had Joe Manchin come out and say he wouldn't vote to abolish it anyway. So, so we still have that intact as of today. Now, you know, we all know things change, but we still have that intact. So if the strategy of getting the bill so bogged down in the Senate fails and it does come up for a vote, it can still be filibustered as it is a piece of legislation. And then at that point, it takes 60 senators uh, to vote on ending the filibuster with the 50 uh, Republicans diametrically opposed to the bill as it stands today. It, you know, it doesn't have any chance right now uh, of getting through the Senate and it will, it will die. Now we, you know, we, no, I'll know things change, but we've got to keep the pressure up on the senators to make sure that, you know, that it, it, you know, one doesn't come up for a vote at all. And two, if it does, that it doesn't pass. Now, Brian Stiles' other big topic today uh, was this upcoming week. And, and this upcoming week begins the fight against the bills being put forth on the House floor that will drastically gut the Second Amendment rights we all enjoy today. Then Brian Stile will be again taking up the fight on the House floor against this bill. He's he's ready. He's ready to go, and he knows he's going to be attacked. Um, but he needs our support. You know, not only the support of the folks in his district, but I would say all of you out there who can call your reps and ensure they stand with Brian Stile against this attempt to further infringe upon our Second Amendment rights. Now, the other thing I saw, and I think we've seen this across the nation, and we've heard it, is that our county Republican Party is a very diverse group. It's young, let's call them the not-so-young, you know, black, Hispanic, white. It's people from all walks of life. We need to keep getting the messaging out there that the conservative movement is for everyone and that it benefits everyone. You know, particularly uh, an interesting an exciting aspect is in our county party, we have a high school student who was elected to our county GOP board. She served as an appointed member last year, which I believe was her sophomore year of high school. And this year ended up getting elected at the uh, caucus today to be a, an official uh, elected board member. This young woman is now a junior at a local high school and has been working to educate her peers on the conservative movement. She noted that most people assume that young people like her are liberal, but that this really isn't the case. She explained to us that the reality is that most people her age don't really know enough or don't care, and they tend to end up going with the flow of whatever their teachers say. This young lady's message to us was that our youth can be reached, that our high schoolers can be reached. They know, they form their own opinions, they have an eye on current events, so they have some idea of what's going on out there, and that we need to get the message out to them. We need to say and let them know that the conservative movement does hear their concerns and does value their opinions, that the conservative movement will be the best option for preserving their rights and freedoms 
going forward as they grow into adults. Now on to our next topic, what happened to the flu? It seems that it's been left out of the annual things we should be afraid of dying with list. I think we can all answer what actually happened to the flu, but let's put some numbers to it just to illustrate how precipitous the decline has been. I have a Red State article that I will link in the description box. The article is titled, About That Mysterious Decline in Flu Cases by Michael Tao. Now, looking at last year, by the sixth week of the flu season, there had been 57,000 flu tests reported to the CDC, of which 32% were positive. That data is in line with previous flu seasons. However, for 2021, by the sixth week of the flu season, the CDC shows that only 17 of 40,800 tests came back positive for the flu. That's a rate, a positivity rate, of 0.04%. Now, this is not just an American phenomenon. In Britain, zero yes, zero of 700,000 flu tests have come back positive. That's right, 0% positive rate for the flu in England. Now, predictably, some want to point to the COVID-19 measures as the reason why the flu is non-existent this year. Social distancing, face coverings, Handwashing and a decrease of international travel are the reasons the flu has been eradicated this year, says Dr. Vanessa Saliba, the head of England's public health department. Now, to be fair to Dr. Saliba, she did note these actions were likely contributors to the decrease. She said they were likely not the absolute cause of the decrease. However, you can see the narrative forming now for the justifications to control the next flu season outbreak next year. Masks, they'll say, even though the efficacy has been noted to be spotty at best at preventing any exposure and subsequent infections. Stay away from others, they will rant, even though it's interacting with others that strengthens our immunities. Don't travel, they will implore, and even will go as far as restrict. Wash your hands, they'll scream. (laughs) Okay, that one we can all get behind because the science is there to back that one up. But the others are flimsy at best, and we'll do our... do well to to push back against them after we've seen what a disaster they've been uh, over the course of the last year here. Now, M.G. Sunday makes a great point that Tao notes in his article, Sunday says that the flu virus is roughly the size of the COVID virus. So if masks are what stopped the flu, then they should have eradicated the coronavirus as well. Oops. That's like science and stuff. Uh, The last I checked, coronavirus is still infecting people, albeit significantly less people as time moves on. The key here will be to 
tuck this narrative away, tuck this information away, and keep it back of mind. And when the mainstream media and daddy government wants to dust it off next flu season, we have to be ready to resist it and continue living life the way we wish to. Mass resistance will be what makes a difference. Civil disobedience is what it will take to get these bureaucrats out of our lives and doing whatever it is they should be doing that is not making public policy. Now, my last topic for this evening comes from an American Thinker article titled Set Yourself Apart from This Corrupt Generation by J.B. Shirk. I'll just have time to hit a couple points, but I'll link the article in the description box. I highly recommend you checking it out. It's a good read. Now, the first point I have here from J.B. Shirk is there is absolutely Uh, There absolutely is good worth defending in our last, to our last breaths. And there is evil that requires us to fight until we can fight no longer. Now, as I look at it, the good worth defending is our freedom, liberty, and constitution. And I would say that also trickles down to defending traditional family values. You know, those pesky things like, two-parent households and having the father in the household and, you know, getting married before having kids, uh, right to exercise your religion of choice uninhibited by the government, you know, pretty much the basics of what built our great society up until the 1960s or so. I would argue with Shirk's point about fighting until we can fight no more. That, to me, implores a bit of defeatism. We must keep fighting if it is good and worthy to fight for. We may need a break now and then, but after recharging, we need to get back into the fight to protect that which we hold dear. Shirk makes the point that anyone with an internet connection can become a YouTube star. Anyone can collect friends, in quotes, on Facebook or Twitter and become popular overnight. Shirk continues on uh, to say that anyone willing to stoop low enough or submit completely enough to the cultural excesses of the day can claim more followers than Alexander the Great or Caesar Augustus ever had. And then he gets to what I would say is the key point of the article. Shirk says that we live in a time when noise is mistaken for wisdom and likes are mistaken for authenticity. Now, that's a big statement there that we need to think about and break down. I did a show on social media a while back, and its overall impact to the negative on society. Shirk reinforces my point here. We have put on a pedestal the likes of Hollywood elites and the AOCs of the world because they have large followings but we don't ever look into the substance of what they are saying or posting. It's just noise in our society. It's just noise in our everyday life. Very rarely is there anything truly of substance coming from their Twitter accounts or even their mouths for that matter. Yet we've raised these people up as beacons of our society worthy of unquestioned adulation and worthy of 
just you know following what they say and, and taking into account that that that's the way we got to go because it came from some Hollywood elite or AOC or you know some other social justice warrior. There's rarely any wisdom propagated from them. However, it's only regurgitated talking points and out-of-touch musings that make you wonder if they are even living in the same universe as us. We've replaced real, genuine, person-to-person interaction with with measuring our self-worth on the amount of likes our posts get. We equate that like that someone gave us on a post of our content to, to them actually liking us as a person. That like, though, is insufficient interaction with someone. You don't get to know them. You've never conversed with them. You don't get to develop a relationship with them. And that's what leaves an emptiness inside. And, you know, I think it might drive some to seek even more likes in social media followers. The kicker in all of this is how much it has caused people to conform to it all. Shirk notes that this whole artificial structure requires so much conformity to survive that the smallest voice of opposition is a threat. It's not real to a certain degree, the online life. Yes, most people online are pretty nice, but you generally only see the really good. There's no bad, and the moment that you challenge them is when the backlash comes. We all have seen what happens when you call out a post as fake news or as having been debunked. You end up getting ostracized or even blocked over it just because you challenged someone's perfect worldview. You question their authority online that all their followers that they've spent all this time amassing, uh, you know, they, they see your challenge to that. and Now you've put that person's credibility on the line. And they don't take too kindly to that. That's what we're talking about here, is it's not necessarily real. You're challenging this utopia that they've built online. You've challenged their credibility, and now you know they have to they have to do something about it. They have to protect what uh, what they've built. so they they quickly call you out, call you the fake newser, and then block you or mute you or whatever online so you don't show up on their posts anymore. You know, they, they, you just shattered uh, what they had built up in their minds as what maybe the truth was. Maybe they don't. Maybe, like I said, they're seeking those, the, the, sell, the uh, adulation of others and they're, they're seeking a way to, to build up those likes and follows. And, and once you do that, once you challenge them, they don't want to accept what the actual truth is. I'll leave you with this. I really like how Shirk closes out his article. He says this. It is because truth, no matter how small it is made to look, is too impressive when not endlessly threatened and controlled by those who wish to distort it. Friends, let's keep pushing for truth, keep pushing the truth, keep searching for truth, and keep fighting tooth and nail for the good in this world. Before I close out my show today, I'm excited to announce my website is now up and running. The website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. On it, you'll find links to my show on a vast array of listening platforms. You can listen to my show directly from my website. 
and I have links there to friends of the show. And, of course, in the future, I'll be working to bring more content through the site in the coming months. I'd be very appreciative if you shared my site and my show with your friends and family. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. You can do that by subscribing to my show as well as signing up for notifications. Follow me on social media. My main account is on Parlor. I am at Living with Liberty. I am also on MeWe. Just search for Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.